you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. My partner in crime, Jacques Hebert from Environmental Defense Fund, is out today, so I'm flying solo. To catch what you missed on Delta Dispatches, you can go to www.deltadispatches.org to listen to our past episodes of Delta Dispatches and to subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Right now, we're at Everlab at the Nopsy Hotel on Verone Street in New Orleans. More than a conference, Everlab is an opportunity which is hosted by GNO Inc. to drive conversations so that we can talk about environmental finance, investment, risk management, and economic growth. As you can imagine, that brings together quite a different set of people, both as panelists and speakers, but also in the audience. And so we tried to capture some of those guests um, so that they could be also be guests on Delta Dispatches. Um, they have lots of great people from Louisiana, but we're also talking about other different issues in other parts of the world, places like Norfolk, Virginia, where they need to protect their vital national security assets, places like the Colorado Rivershed, where drought and can they need plans for drought in the western U.S., and then wildfires in California is shifting from defense to offense. So this isn't all about Louisiana, but there's a lot of common themes here for folks about um, things like prevention and reducing and managing risk. And so it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, We were happy to participate on a Louisiana-centric panel talking about the business of coastal resilience. Um, I focused on some of our interesting finance work and partnership with CPRA, including our Ernst & Young Infrastructure Report our financing report and some of the next steps that we want to um, talk to them about and take with them. We also had on that same panel uh, Chip Klein, who is the governor's executive assistant and chairman of the CPRA board. He really laid the context for what we're doing here in Louisiana. Uh, Steve Cochran, uh, who's a frequent guest of the show, has talked about things like environmental impact bonds, but also kind of the climate, uh, no pun intended, about um, some coastal finance here in Louisiana. So um, also, we were fortunate enough to have one of the major sponsors of the event, Christian Tracks from the Walton Family Foundation. Uh, she was here participating in the conference, and we were able to catch her uh, to do an interview to talk about why Louisiana is important to her. We touched all different sectors here. We also had a chance to talk about resilience and the importance of resilience, resilience not just to Louisiana, uh, but to all, um, all places like California and Colorado. Uh, And we specifically touched on some of the work for Foundation for Louisiana uh, and some of their work here in Louisiana talking about adaptation and what happens after or um, in case you don't get to implement the master plan. So lots of really great discussion here. You can check out some more information on Everlab um, at everlabnola.com. Again, this is a conference hosted by our friends and partners over at GNO Inc. 
There's quite a few other things happening here in Louisiana all during this week. Uh, there is a NERDA Deepwater Horizon Trustees annual meeting over in Florida. Uh, as you may recall, the NERDA trustees are responsible for managing those um, funds that are dedicated to the specific injury to natural resources that were damaged. Um, and so they have these annual meetings. Um, they actually hosted an outreach and education workshop, and they host these trustee meetings um, to provide more information. So that is um, this Thursday um, from 5.30 to 8 p.m. at Pensacola City Hall. Uh, also, some of you may be celebrating World Oceans Day, which is this Saturday on June 8th. Uh, next week, there is a Gulf of Mexico Alliance all-hands meeting over at Gulf Shores at the Lodge at Gulf State Park, and that runs Monday through Thursday, uh, again at... Um, at, over in Gulf Shores. Our friends and partners uh, over at the Coalition to Restore Coast Louisiana, who had been on the uh, show in the past couple of um, weeks, they have another marsh uh, restoration planning over at Bayou Bonifuca. And that is Friday, uh, June 14th, and Saturday, June 15th. Um, they're going to be preparing and planting native marsh grass, and they need our help. We had uh, previous CRCL employees talking about what good, rewarding work this was. Um, so right over there in Bayou Bonifuca, um, they, uh, what they do is they plan to stabilize the project and establish native vegetation uh, for wildlife habitat. Space is limited, so registration is first come and first serve. And then over at Restore Retreat, we're actually going to be celebrating the Creole Classic. And the Creole Classic is a um, traditional fishing tournament hosted over at Grand Isle. It's held every June, and last year, Restore Retreat started a partnership with them to join forces to talk about um, the important part of not just environment, but also the culture and things like fish and rodeos down in our area. Uh, and so we hosted uh, the launch party the night before. Um, we had kids' activities, and it was a real family-friendly affair. Um, and if you want more information about that launch party over at the Bayou Side Marina, um, Right when you get to Grand Isle, you can visit creoleclassic.com. Also, just a reminder that the CPRA has their monthly board meeting uh, the third Wednesday of every month. Uh, this month, it's going to be held um, in HOMA at the Terrebonne, HOMA Terrebonne Civic Center. It's in conjunction with their Coastal Day. They will also be dedicating a floodgate that afternoon, uh, and there will be events and activities at the Homa Civic Center from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Again, on June 19th, that's free and open to the public. And we'll have several organizations presenting there, um, displaying there, including Restore Retreat. So we'll hope we'll come out. We hope that you will come out to check that out. Um, those are just some of the things that are going on here in coastal Louisiana. Um, but we really want to get into to uh, some of the interviews that we have lined up for you from some of the guests and participants at Everlab, which was an exciting event happening this week. So without further delay, we want to get to some of those interviews right after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. And don't forget that you can find previous episodes on deltadispatches.org and you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. We'll be right back with those interviews.
National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress that has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Samoma Laws with Restore Retreat. I am super pleased to have as a guest with us today for the first time, Michael Heck. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Simone. Great to be here. So who are you? Um, <laughs> that's, more <laughs> an, that's more of an existential question. Uh, I'm a Gemini. I yeah. like pina coladas. I'm a Virgo, which is kind of disappointing. In this, in this context, I'm president and CEO of Greater New Orleans, Inc., we're the economic development nonprofit for Southeast Louisiana. And we are here at Everlab right now. Uh, we had Robin Barnes on the show previously, but why don't you tell our audience what Everlab is and how this idea came about? Everlab is actually an acronym for Environmental Ventures for Economic Return, which is kind of a wonky way of saying that we're going to save the coast when people are able to finance it and even make money doing it. I love talking about money. Jacques likes to talk about birds and oysters, but I like to talk about money. So let's get into well, it. Birds and oysters ain't free, <laughs> right? At Gino Inc., you do see the possibilities of investing in our coast, right? You see it not just from the environmental standpoint, but from the economic standpoint. That's right. We see it as, as a obviously a defensive uh, imperative. We have to you know stabilize the coast at a minimum if we want to be able to live here and work here going forward. But we also see it as an opportunity, and probably the case in point in this is Holland, where the Netherlands drives about 4% 
of its gross national GDP by selling its water management technology around the world, its architecture, its engineering, its building. They export it. They export it, exactly. And so uh, we think that now that we really own this brand of water, for better or for worse, we should leverage it and effectively become the Dutch of, of North America, except maybe shorter and with better food. <laughs> Michael, when you are trying to attract businesses to this area, do they ask about how vulnerable we are here in Louisiana? Uh, they absolutely do. I think the honest answer to that question is that there are going to be some businesses that are simply going to redline coastal areas and will refuse to go within 50 miles of any coastline. And those businesses, unfortunately, you don't get even to speak to. But others uh, and the majority will come here and they want to know what we are doing to mitigate against sea level rise and climate change. And we're able to explain to them that we now have a $15 billion system around southern Louisiana. And it's not perfect, but it's a magnitude better than what we had pre-Katrina. Do you have to get into the $50 billion uh, coastal plan? Or do they really just want to know that they're immediately protected by the levees? That, that depends generally on the nature of the business. If it's an industrial business that's making multi-billion dollar investments, then they really want to know what the midterm and long-term plan is. And that's when we'll talk about the coastal master plan and how it's an iterative science-based plan that's already partially funded. And uh, that's important to them. But if it's a technology company that's not doing as much of a capital investment and they're just going into an office building... Uh, then they're more concerned about immediate safety. And that's when we talk about the Great Wall of New Orleans uh, and all the work that's been done post-Katrina. So they also obviously take their employees into consideration too and where they live and, and those kinds of things. So can we get into NFIP a little bit? For sure. They brought it up on the news just this morning. We were when talking you said about- NFIP, I, I almost <laughs> impulsively wanted to say, yeah, you know me, but that's different. We are going to have to touch on the diversion song too. If we, could, if we can uh, use that as our that. exit. Yes. yes. Um, so let's talk about NFIP. It seems to be kind of um, a hamster wheel. I don't know how to say it, right? It's this continuous cycle. But Geno Inc. has taken a very strong national lead on NFIP. That's right. We got involved in this back in 2012 when the bigger waters reforms uh, were rolled out and they were going to have the unintended consequence, frankly, of throwing thousands of Americans, many in Louisiana, um, out of their homes. And so that's when we dug in and we first just wanted to stabilize the program, but now we're trying to understand what is the right way to frame or the right way to develop a flood insurance program for going forward that's going to incentivize the right type of behavior, that's going to be affordable for homeowners, and that is going to recognize that we live in a rapidly changing world. And so uh, NFIP is, is a fascinating topic because on one hand, it's very wonky at a policy level, uh, at a science level. But on the other hand, it's also um, uh, very practical because it hits, hits people in their pocketbook. Uh, here at GNO Inc., we have our Coalition for Sustainable Flood Insurance, which is a national uh, organization. And we're working on four elements. We're working on better uh, risk assessment, uh, ensuring affordability, improving mitigation opportunities for communities and homeowners, and finally, increasing participation. 
the program? I think that's probably, um, like you said, it's not exactly a sexy topic, but it's so important. And, and we really want people to know that GNO Inc. has taken not just the, the statewide lead, but a national lead on that. I mean, I remember being on conference calls with Caitlin when she was mm-hmm. with you that people would call in from all over the country to talk about this because it's something that touches us, not just here in Louisiana. That's right. It started out as just a Louisiana story and people wondered why those foolish Cajuns built at the bottom of the river. And don't get me started on that. Uh, Mississippi serves 32 states in the country and two provinces, great economic center. But um, then what happened was uh, you had the storm Sandy, Superstorm Sandy that hit New York City. And suddenly the subways flooded and Wall Street flooded. And suddenly New York was interested. Then there were floods in Colorado. And now with the most recent floods that we're seeing in Arkansas, um, you're seeing a major flooding event, you know, frankly, on almost a monthly basis. And so This issue has now been elevated to being national in scope and to some degree that helps us politically because now everybody is interested in how do we live in this era of climate change with rising sea level in a way that is affordable and sustainable and uh, is going to allow for people and the economy to still continue um, near water. So do you really think you're making progress? Um, I actually think that we are uh, for two reasons. Um, The work we did on fixing bigger waters. I don't know if that was progress. It might've just been getting back to zero, mm-hmm. which some days uh, feels like <laughs> we'll progress, take it, right? particularly <laughs> when you have young kids. Um, <laughs> but, um, but what it did do was educate the country about flood insurance. Now that we have a country that's much more educated, we have a committee chair in Maxine Waters who truly is interested in finding a solution. I think that we are set to make some real reforms on a bipartisan uh, basis in flood insurance. The moonshot goal of national catastrophic might be truly a moonshot goal, but making incremental improvements, again, in areas of risk assessment and mitigation and participation, absolutely within our reach. So, yeah, I think I'm justifiably um, optimistic on the next year. Sometimes taking those small steps, you turn around and you realize, oh, yeah, I I did come far, right? And when you're starting at zero or less than zero mm-hmm. in this case, you definitely have made some progress. So what are some things coming up from GNO Inc.? You mentioned you might have a conference coming up again this summer. Um, so uh, we have a, a, the conference that's going to follow uh, Everlab as our environmental conference is called Emerge. And that's our conference for young developing leaders. Um, again, which ties back to this conference because the next generation uh, recognizes that they have a very personal stake in engaging uh, in issues of the economy and the environment. That means that if you think back about the mission of GNO Inc., that they are going to be able to have a thriving economy uh, and a great quality of life, including a personal safety for themselves and their kids. And um, the bad news is that we're in the midst of something that I think is being recognized now as a crisis. The good news is that it's being recognized. Yeah, right. And uh, again, uh, I, I remain optimistic that the with education, the political will will exist for us to do the right thing for Louisiana um, and the country and, and the world. I always love to talk to you. You're a fascinating person. We didn't even get into the restaurants and all kind of cool things that you've done before. But we are up against a break. Will you take us out with a smidgen of like a diversion? Oh, well, this was the great hit from Madonna back in the day (laughs) about the need to allow the river to do what it needs to do. And I think it opens up with uh, something like uh, I think the chorus is uh, like a diversion reached for the very first time. Like a diversion when your river water hits the brine. And it kind of goes like, 
Can I can I give you all my silk? That's what goes like that. You get oh, the there's picture. there's words for all of it. I know there is. Yeah, it's a hit. <laughs> thank you, Michael, for being on the show, and thank you for hosting EverLab. It's thank it's been so a, an amazing experience in bringing together leaders to talk about this. So we'd love Appreciate to have you back that. on in the future. Sure will. Thanks, Mo. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. And I'm Chip Klein, Chairman of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority Board. Welcome, number one avid listener. I'm back. Welcome to, to the to show. Back. Thank you. Um, your um, appearance is timely. You've been a busy guy. Yes. Can we talk about what you've been up to the past couple of weeks? Sure. Where would you like to now. start? Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start. What What is happening for our listeners outside of Louisiana? So so right now we are, first of all, we, we are, we've got the wettest year on record here in South Louisiana. So we're, um, the Mississippi River has been at a flood stage for longer than it ever has been. And so as, as a result, you've seen the body carry spillway open twice this year already. And um, what you're what you're hearing from the Corps of Engineers in the last few weeks is the possibility of opening the Morganza spillway. Um, so what largely governs the opening of the spillway, specifically the Morganza spillway, is the Red River landing gauge. Uh, and when that when the river level gets to 1.5 million cubic feet per second, that's what triggers the opening of the Morganza. So initially, the, the Corps was um, anticipating opening the Morganza spillway on June 2nd uh, at the tune of about 60,000 CFS. The very next day, they said, oh, we're going to have to almost triple. So that you call opening. that a slow opening? Or a slow is that opening. just it was, right. it was a slow opening to where, so back in 2011, I think this is an important point. Back in 2011, they opened so fairly all, recently. Of, all, of the, all of the gates at one time. So you had a massive influx of water going uh, down the floodway all at one time. And so was that a lesson learned? It is a lesson a learned. Little and, so, and so what happened was is that you didn't you didn't allow for wildlife mm -hmm. um, to to really adapt or um, be able to move out of harm's way in enough time. So you saw a lot of devastation to to wildlife across uh, South Louisiana as a result of the opening. Additionally, you didn't have enough time for farmers to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, the Corps of Engineers didn't give us much of a heads up back in 2011 that it was going to be open. And then when it was open, they opened the gates all at one time. And this is an area where people do live and farm and maybe have cattle. Those they, they do. I mean, it's mostly cropland and farmland. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously, once you get down into the southern portions of the basin and the river where Morgan City, um, you know, that's where people you really start to see communities where people live and work. And so this year they kind of changed their approach. They said, look, we're going to give the state more of a heads up that there's a possibility that we're going to open this thing. And secondly, if we do open it, it's going to be a slow opening to where they will open a bay a day uh, for the first three days. And then on the final day, they will open all of the remaining gates to hopefully give wildlife and, and the people who live and uh, work along the spillway and the floodway a little bit more time to prepare. And so initially they said it was going to be 60,000 uh, CFS. If, if it was opened on June 2nd, the very next day they came back and said, well, we're probably going to have to close to triple that up to 150,000 CFS. 
And so we were anticipating the spillway being opened on June 2nd. They came back at the end of last week and said, well, it'll probably be June 6th. And then yesterday we learned that it will likely be June 9th. Because this is all about where rain falls somewhere totally far away and, and predicting things that may happen far away from us. I think your, your listeners probably don't realize that the Mississippi River literally drains to Oh, my listeners are smart. Uh, well don't, informed. Only yes, because well of informed. you and Jacques. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, well, right. go ahead. Take, remind we'll, them. We'll, Maybe we'll, remind we'll them. There. But the Mississippi River, you know, drains two-thirds of the United States, as well as, I believe, three uh, Canadian uh, provinces. And so anything that happens north of here, if it's heavy snow melt or heavy rainfall, all of that eventually is coming down here to South Louisiana. And so based upon the forecast that the Corps of Engineers were looking at is they thought that the trigger was going to be hit on the Red River landing on June 2nd. But what's happening is it's taking a lot longer uh, than originally anticipated for that water to actually make its way down here. They're still saying that the likelihood uh, of opening the spillway is, is um, there's a very good chance of that happening. And so one of the things that we as a state have done is be proactive about um, getting ahead of the, the inundation of water is to sink that barge in the Morgan City area that was um, previously done in 2011 and in 2016. And that's that's an issue that is tied to something they call backwater flooding, right? Or, or it gets more complicated, like you said, when you get down towards the area of Morgan City and Stevensville, those kinds of things, correct? Right. So when the spillway is open, the, the two main arteries by which that water drains out of is the Chaffalai River and the Wax Lake Outlet. But when you have that much water going down those two passes, what happens a lot of times is water will literally start moving back up north. So also filled with sediment uh, too, right? That's, that's yeah. correct. That's correct. There's there's a lot of value in that in that water, um, but it goes back up north through the Bayou Chain, which then feeds into areas of Morgan City, and then poses the risk of backwater flooding in the areas of Assumption, Iberville, Saint Martin. So you're Saint stopping Mary. the water from coming south to north. That's correct. In that area, because it's trying it goes to goes back up through the Bayou Chain, and then it travels a plumbing east. shortcut. That's right. correct. It travels east towards those areas where people live and work, and so by placing that barge on the Bayou Chain, it essentially serves as a barrier. So where it literally blocks the water and forces that water down the Bayou Pension and then ultimately uh, gets the majority of that water to the Gulf of Mexico through the Chafalaya River and the West Lake. And the governor and and you announced earlier this year that y'all would actually be fully funding a permanent closure, or not closure, a permanent gate there. That's right. So through the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act, um, which overwhelming majority of those dollars will be going to fund the protection side of the master plan. And so $80 million will be invested um, to fund the permanent structure there on Bayou Shane to where we have these situations in the future, literally by the push of a button, you can have that structure closed in a matter of hours to prevent that. Similar to some of the floodgates in in Terrebonne. Um, So who makes the decision about Morganza? Does that come out of the New Orleans office or the Vicksburg office? Well, it's ultimately made by the Vicksburg office, Mm -hmm. but it's informed by the advice and really the consent really of the district. You've got a little team of people that talk often about these decisions. We do. It it largely... the decision largely resides with the, the president of the Mississippi River Commission, who mm-hmm. is, is um, General Kaiser mm-hmm. in the Vicksburg Division. So, um, okay, so this is a temporary structure 
Um, so you sunk the barge mm-hmm. and then that eventually, when the threat is lessened, you'll remove that. Mm-hmm. But then y'all are already working on a permanent structure there. Right. So the permanent structure will be the engineering and design will be completed sometime in September, October of this year. And then we should be under construction at the end of January or beginning of February of 2020. What do you think? overall that you're learning about opening the Bonnie Carey three times in four years, twice in one year, uh, or, you know, very quickly, what, what are some lessons that y'all are learning there about these kind of more extreme weather events? Well, I think that it's not just about extreme weather events, but I think it further solidifies the mindset that we have within the master plan of how we, how important it is that we learn to live with water. Um, not just existing water, but the additional influx of water that we continue to have across South Louisiana, whether it be from snow melt or rain events. And then for us, as you know, Simone, the, the master plan is largely dependent on the best available science. So it's important for us in the state to figure out what, what is triggering those events and what is causing those, those um, massive rainfall event, events that are, that are impacting South Louisiana. And so I think that's something that we're committed to over the next several years as we develop the next uh, edition of the master plan going into 2023. Well, thank you for coming in to talk about Flood Fight 2019. Uh, And we look forward to you continuing to be our number one avid listener. Always, always number one. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat. And I'm Jacques Hebert with EDF. <laughs> Jacques has ditched me yet again. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, and this seems to be our theme, but I am lucky enough to have frequent guest Steve Cochran from EDF on the show. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Simone. I'm, I'm here in place of Jacques. <laughs> you know, we had Alicia on the show recently, and I think you and Alicia are in a hot competition for most frequent guests of Delta Dispatches. <laughs> Your offices are either too close to ours, <laughs> so that we get like, hey, will you come do the radio show with us that you're willing and available? She's smarter than I am, so I, <laughs> I better limit my appearances. I'll talk my way out of this. Well, Steve, we are at Everlab a conference here in New Orleans, um, and we had Robin Barnes and Michael Heck on the show to talk about it a little bit. Um, you're on a panel later today, but let's talk about your perspective of a conference like this. This is not just about Louisiana issues. Yeah, and, I, and I'll have to admit on the front end, I'm not a big conference guy. I can get bored <laughs> these things. Uh, this is, um, but they have donuts, Steve. But they do have donuts. <laughs> I'm busted already. Um, the thing that that was really interesting to me about this conference is the degree to which, you know, we, we've, we focus on Louisiana. It's what we're here to do. Um, and sometimes you can lose sight of the, of the sort of connectivity with other parts of the country and even other parts of the world. And, and what you see at this conference is exactly that people all over the country trying to deal with increasing risk, particularly in coastal areas and river areas. We're seeing that, uh, in the news every day right now, um, trying to figure out how do we, how do we connect these dots? How do we make um, this problem 
um, not create another problem over here? And how do we how do we tie the solutions together? Things that we deal with every day in Louisiana because our land was sinking before the water started coming up. So we're sort of uh, we're kind of ahead in thinking about this stuff, but listening to other people, some really smart people who look at this kinds of things globally, be able to bring that here. This is really a useful useful t- a bit of time to spend here. I met a student earlier. She's um, from Oregon and she came here specifically for this conference. And it's always, well, you know, it's 95 degrees here, right? You did know that. You left Oregon to come here. She's like, yeah, I'm here for less than 24 hours. Um, but she was very intrigued by the agenda. And, and she mentioned to me in particular, she's interested in California that we're, uh, there's a breakout panel there on wildfires. And um, I was talking to her about, I was on a panel once on natural defenses and this whole idea that fires are natural, right? Um, forest fires are natural, wildfires are not. I learned this. Um, but that there's the preventative measure that this ounce of, of prevention can save you so much in the long run. And that's something very similar to here in Louisiana, right? One project can save you so much in the long run. So you see this from a different perspective, Steve. So well, talk I, about that. We, we, I get to, I get to at, at, at EDF, we have people who work on the range of things like this. And so I get exposed to it. And, and you're right, thinking that way, building that way of thinking into how we plan our work and how we, how we build our defenses and, and how we make decisions about the next project really, really turns out to make a difference. I mean, in, in wildfires, one of the things that people have learned is that if you clear out the underbrush mm-hmm. in an area, then what happens in a big fire comes on, it races across the tops of the trees, but it actually doesn't get down and burn the, the timber itself. So they're able to recover and not destroy it. But if you have lots of underbrush there, that underbrush catches, everything burns out and you lose the forest altogether. But then you get mudslides, right? And so that prevents just, mudslides. It, it and run. so, so um, these things, this, the connectivity here is really important and it's the right way to think about every one of these solution sets that we come up with. So one of the uh, speakers uh, at, at Everlab also was from the insurance agency, right? In our insurance world, which gave a whole different perspective of risk. Talk a little bit about what Alex from Swiss Re was, was talking about this morning. You know, he gave some examples of, of where the, the insurance uh, models are moving. Uh, they're, trying to, they're trying out new things, trying to figure out how can they be on the preventive side of things rather than, well, okay, that just blew up. Now we go pay for it. Uh, and he, so they used an example for, uh, of uh, coral reefs in Cancun. Which, by the way, I think we need to go check out. Well, I, that definitely requires a site visit. Uh, and, and what they've set up is, a, is a, 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 an insurance-funded uh, program, which is intended to reduce risk. They're, therefore, they can lower their cost and the potential for them having to have big payouts, right? But what they've set up here is what they know is that with coral reefs, which serve as protective barriers for the shore, just like oyster, oyster reefs, reefs do here, right. exact same thing. Since they provide that protection and they know when a storm comes through, it's going to do some destruction to that. So they've actually hired and trained fishermen to be prepared after the storm to go back and get the, the broken pieces of coral, which if replanted within 48 hours will regrow very, very well. 
do that right away, get that rich. So they're building their defenses right back up again so they're not left defenseless, so that coral reef isn't broken down. And the nice, interesting thing, how these things fit together, those fishermen are, are not really doing anything right after the storm, as fishermen here really know. It's all right. about recovery. So they are actually getting paid to do this recovery in a way that makes sure those defenses stay in place protects the beach and protects the insurance company's investment along the way. It's a really smart way to think about that. Nature Conservancy is involved in that. Sounds like a really interesting project. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, international examples, too, talking about, um, you know, real-time application of um, cattle that that graze and move around and that they can tell almost immediately if, if the grass is not enough for them and that they can, yeah, they that, can that's amazing to me to use that technology. That's sort of the other thing theme that we're hearing is, is technology, right? How, how do we use the things that we can use now that we didn't have even 15 years ago mm-hmm. to be able to know what's going on, to be able to... to Venmo farmers money. Think ahead. <laughs> well, that's what they did, right? Yeah. They, were, they, they immediately figured out how to do that. But, that. but really thinking about that, knowing what the tools are that you have, and we're trying to do that for Louisiana with, with sensor technology, with satellite technology, really looking at the coast, knowing what's changing being able to react accordingly ahead of a storm rather than, oh, well, let's go back and look and see what happened now that we've had a storm. That's a really great way to think. We have to think that way down here. It's really helpful to see how other people are doing that. So, Steve, what's happening here in Louisiana that you're you're interested in? We are closing out a legislative session. Um, were you watching some coastal bills? Well, you know, it's uh, every year the, the legislature has a responsibility to pass what's called the annual plan, uh, which is where the money is to get the projects done. And for the, I don't know how many year in a row, uh, <laughs> umpteenth, um, they did so unanimously. So that level of support that continues uh, is essential and really good to see. We're also spending more money, I think, this year than we have spent previously in terms of what's available. Getting those projects on the ground is a key. I think the governor's out every two weeks now announcing a new project. We love to see that. We love so, to cut ribbons. So it's love pretty, it's pretty encouraging right now. He also dedicated some surplus funds to Coastal 2, which will go a long way to infuse some cash into the program that hopefully will have a domino effect on on unlocking some other projects They He as did well. a nice job, and the legislature went along with it, of putting money back into the operations fund for CPRA so that they can have the people and the, and the strength they need to manage the resources that we have. To. It's the right thing to do. That money was taken away years ago. It's good to put it back. Well, thank you, Steve Cochran, for being on Delta Dispatches. We'll um, we'll count this as a notch up, and so you, you still have to catch Alicia, <laughs> but you're almost there. Um, so you'll have to come back on for the next six weeks. But thank no, you I'm, guys. <laughs> I'm really glad y'all are here. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Steve, for being on the show. You're listening to Delta Dispatches.